Part Two of Lorelei of the Red Mist by Lee Douglas Brackett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Two. A woman with pale green hair said, "Beodog softly." Ron said, "Faulon," and Roma's harp made a sound like a high priest's curse. Her people have that power," Roma said. They can think a man's soul into a spider and step on it. They have many powers. Maybe Ron followed Conan's mind wherever it went, and told it what to say and brought it back again. Listen," said Stark angrily. "I didn't ask." Suddenly, without warning, Roma drew Beodog's sword and threw it at Stark. Stark dodged it. He looked at Roma with ugly yellow eyes. That's fine. Chain me up so I can't fight and kill me from a distance. He did not pick up the sword. He'd never used one. The chain felt better, not being too different from a heavy belt or a length of cable or the other chains he'd swung on occasion. Romna said, "Is that Conan?" Faolon snarled. "What happened?" Romna threw my sword at Conan. He dodged it and left it on the ground. Beodog's eyes were narrowed. Conan could catch a flying sword by the hilt, and he was the best fighter on the Red Sea, barring you, Faolon. He's trying to trick us. Ron guides him. The hell with Ron! Stark clashed his chain. She wants me to kill the both of you. I still don't know why. All right, I could have killed Faolon easy, but I'm not a killer. I never put down anyone except to save my own neck, so I didn't kill him in spite of Ron, and I don't want any part of you or Ron either. <laughs> All I want is to get the hell out of here. Beodog said, "His accent isn't Conan's, and the look in his eyes is different too." Her voice had an odd note in it. Romna glanced at her. He fingered a few rippling chords on his harp and said. There is one way you could tell for sure. A sudden flush began to burn on Beodog's cheekbones. Romna slid unobtrusively out of reach. His eyes danced with malicious laughter. Beodog smiled, the smile of an angry cat, all teeth and no humor. Suddenly, she walked toward Stark. Her head erect, her hands swinging loose and empty at her sides, Stark tensed warily, but the blood leaped pleasantly in his borrowed veins. Beodog kissed him. Stark dropped the chain. He had something better to do with his hands. After a while, he raised his head for breath, and she stepped back and whispered wonderingly, "It isn't Conan." The hall had been cleared. Stark had washed and shaved himself. His new face wasn't bad—not bad at all. In fact, it was pretty damn good. And it wasn't known around the system. It was a face that could own a million credits and no questions asked. It was a face that could have a lot of fun on a million credits. All he had to figure out now was a way to save the neck the face was mounted on and get his million credits back from that beautiful she-devil named Ron. He was still chained, 
but the straw had been cleaned up and he wore a leather kilt and a pair of sandals. Faolon sat in his high seat nursing a flagon of wine. Beodog sprawled wearily on a fur rug beside him. Romna sat cross-legged, his eyes veiled sleepily, stroking soft, wandering music out of his harp. He looked fey. Stark knew his swamp edgers. He wasn't surprised. This man is telling the truth, Romna said. But there's another mind touching his. Ron's, I think. Don't trust him. Faolon growled. I wouldn't trust a god in Conan's body. Stark said, What's the setup? All the fighting out there and this Ron dame trying to plant a killer on the inside. And what happened at Falga? Never heard of this whole damn ocean, let alone a place called Falga. The bard swept his hand across the strings. I'll tell you, you Stark, and maybe you won't want to stay in that body any longer. Stark grinned. He glanced at Beodog. She was watching him with a queer intensity from under lowered lids. Stark's grin changed. He began to sweat. Get rid of this body, hell! It was really a body. His own stringy little carcass had never felt like this. The bard said, In the beginning, in the Red Sea, was a race of people having still their fins and scales. They were amphibious, but after a while part of this race wanted to remain entirely on land. There was a quarrel and a battle, and some of the people left the sea forever. They settled along the shore. They lost their fins and most of their scales. They had great mental powers, and they loved ruling. They subjugated the human peoples and kept them almost in slavery. They hated their brothers who still lived in the sea, and their brothers hated them. After a time a third people came to the Red Sea. They were rovers from the north. They raided and reaved and wore no man's collar. They made a settlement on Crom de Hue, the Black Rock, and built longships and took toll of the coastal towns. But the slave people didn't want to fight against the rovers. They wanted to fight with them and destroy the sea-folk. The rovers were human, and blood calls to blood. And the rovers liked to rule, too, and this is a rich country. Also, the time had come in their tribal development when they were ready to change from nomadic warriors to builders in their own country. So the rovers and the sea-folk and the slave people who are caught between the two of them began their struggle for the land. The bard's fingers thrummed against the strings, so that they beat like angry hearts. Stark saw that Beodog was still watching him, weighing every change of expression on his face. Romna went on. There was a woman named Ron, who had green hair and great beauty, and ruled the sea-folk. There was a man called Faolon of the ships, and his sister Beodog, which means dagger in the sheath and they too ruled the outland rovers. And there was a man called Conan. The harp crashed out like a sword-blade striking. Conan was a great fighter and a great lover. He was next under Faolan of the ships, 
and Beodog loved him, and they were plighted. Then Conan was taken prisoner by the Sea Folk during a skirmish, and Ron saw him, and Conan saw Ron. Hugh Stark had a fleeting memory of Ron's face smiling, and her low voice saying, It's a good body. I knew it before. Beodog's eyes were two stones of blue vitriol under her narrow lids. Conan stayed a long time at Falga with Ron of the Red Sea. Then he came back to Crom de Hugh and said that he had escaped and had discovered a way to take the long ships into the harbor of Falga at the back of Ron's fleet, and from there it would be easy to take the city, and Ron with it. And Conan and Beodog were married. Stark's yellow hawk eyes slid over Beodog, sprawled like a young lioness in power and beauty. A muscle began to twitch under his cheekbone. Beodog flushed, a slow deep color. Her gaze did not waver. So the long ships went out from Crom de Hugh across the Red Sea, and Conan led them into a trap at Falga, and more than half of them were sunk. Conan thought his ship was free, that he had Ron and all she'd promised him, but Faulon saw what had happened and went after him. They fought, and Conan laid his sword across Faulon's brow and blinded him. But Conan lost the fight. Beodog brought them home. Conan was chained naked in the marketplace. The people were careful not to kill him. From time to time other things were done to him. After a while his mind broke, and Faulon had him chained here in the hall where he could hear him babble and play with his chain. It made the darkness easier to bear. But since Falga things have gone badly from Crom de Hugh. Too many men were lost, too many ships. Now Ron's people have us bottled up here. They can't break in, we can't break out. And so we stay, until— The harp cried out a bitter question, and was still. After a minute or two, Stark said slowly, Yeah, I get it. Stalemate for both of you. And Ron figured if I could kill off the leaders, your people might give up. He began to curse. What a lousy, dirty, sneaking trick! And who told her she could use me? He paused. After all, he'd be dead now. After all, a new body and a cool million credits. Ah, the hell with Ron. He hadn't asked her to do it, and he was nobody's hired killer. Where did she get off sneaking around his mind, trying to make him do things he didn't even know about? Especially to someone like Beodog. Still, Ron herself was nobody's crud. And just where was Hugh Stark supposed to cut in on this deal? Cut was right, probably with a longsword right through the belly. Swell spot he was in, and a good three strikes on him already. He was beginning to wish he'd never seen the TV mine's payroll ship, because then he might never have seen the mountains of White Cloud. He said, because everybody seemed to be waiting for him to say something, Usually, when there's a deadlock like this, somebody calls in a third party. Isn't there somebody you can yell for? 
Faulon shook his rough red head. The slave people might rise, but they haven't arms and they're not used to fighting. They'd only get massacred and it wouldn't help us any. What about those other, uh, people that live in the sea? And just what is that sea, anyhow? Some radiation from it wrecked my ship and got me into this bloody mess. Beodog said lazily, I don't know what it is. The seas our forefathers sailed on were water, but this is different. It will float a ship if you know how to build a hull, very thin of a white metal we mine from the foothills. But when you swim in it, it's like being in a cloud of bubbles. It tingles, and the farther down you go in it, the stranger it gets, dark and full of fire. I stay down for hours sometimes, hunting the beasts that live there. Stark said, For hours? You have diving suits, then? What are they? Stark told her. She shook her head, laughing. <laughs> Why weigh yourself down that way? There's no trouble to breathe in this ocean. For cripe's sake, said Stark. Well, I'll be damned. Must be a heavy gas, then. Radioactive, surface tension under atmospheric pressure. Enough to float a light hull and high oxygen content without any dangerous mixture. Well, well. Okay, why doesn't somebody go down and see if the sea people will help? They don't like Ron's branch of the family, you said. They don't like us either, said Faulon. We stay out of the southern part of the sea. They wreck our ships sometimes. His bitter mouth twisted in a smile. Did you want to go to them for help? Stark didn't quite like the way Faulon sounded. It was just a suggestion, he said. Beodog rose, stretching, wincing as the stiffened wounds pulled her flesh. Come on, Faulon, let's sleep. He rose and laid his hand on her shoulder. Romna's harp strings breathed a subtle little mockery of sound. The bard's eyes were veiled and sleepy. Beodog did not look at Stark, called Conan. Stark said, What about me? You stay chained, said Faulon. There's plenty of time to think, as long as we have food and the sea feeds us. He followed Beodog through a curtained entrance to the left. Romna got up, slowly slinging the harp over one white shoulder. He stood, looking steadily into Stark's eyes in the dying light of the fires. I don't know, he murmured. Stark waited, not speaking. His face was without expression. Conan, we knew. Stark, we don't know. Perhaps it would have been better if Conan had come back. He ran his thumb absently over the hilt of the knife in his girdle. I don't know. Perhaps it would have been better for all of us if I'd cut your throat before Beodoc came in. Stark's mouth twitched. It was not exactly a smile. You see, said the bard seriously, to you, from outside, none of this is important except as it touches you. But we live in this little world. We die in it. To us, it's important. The knife was in his hand now. It leaped up, glittering into the dregs of the firelight, and fell and leaped again. You fight for yourself, Hugh Stark. 
Ron also fights through you. I don't know. Stark's gaze did not waver. Romna shrugged and put away the knife. It is written of the gods, he said, sighing. I hope they haven't done a bad job of the writing. He went out. Stark began to shiver slightly. It was completely quiet in the hall. He examined his collar, the rivets, every separate link of the chain, the staple to which it was fixed. Then he sat down on the fur rug provided for him in place of the straw. He put his face in his hands and cursed steadily for several minutes. Then he struck his fists down hard on the floor. After that he lay down and was quiet. He thought Ron would speak to him. She did not. The silent black hours that walked across his heart were worse than any he had spent in the Luna Crypts. She came, soft-shod, bearing a candle. Beodog, the dagger in the sheath. Stark was not sleeping. He rose and stood waiting. She set the candle on the table and came, not quite to him, and stopped. She wore a length of thin white cloth twisted loosely at the waist and dropping to her ankles. Her body rose out of it straight and lovely, touched mystically with shadows in the little wavering light. "'Who are you?' she whispered. "'What are you?' "'A man, not Conan. Maybe not Hugh Stark any more. Just a man.' "'I loved the man called Conan until—' She caught her breath and moved closer. She put her hand on Stark's arm. The touch went through him like white fire. The warm, clean, healthy fragrance of her tasted sweet in his throat. Her eyes searched his. If Ron has such great powers, couldn't it be that Conan was forced to do what he did? Couldn't it be that Ron took his mind and molded it her way, perhaps without his knowing it? It could be. Conan was hot-tempered and quarrelsome, but he— Stark said slowly, I don't think you could have loved him if he hadn't been straight. Her hand lay still on his forearm. She stood looking at him, and then her hand began to tremble, and in a moment she was crying, making no noise about it. Stark drew her gently to him. His eyes blazed yellowly in the candlelight. "'Woman's tears,' she said impatiently, after a bit. She tried to draw away. "'I've been fighting too long and losing, and I'm tired.' He let her step back. Not far. "'Do all the women of Crom de Hugh fight like men?' "'If they want to. There have always been shield maidens, and since Falga I would have had to fight anyway to keep from thinking.' She touched the collar on Stark's neck. And from seeing. She thought of Conan in the market square, and Conan shaking his chain and gibbering in Faulon's hall, and Beodog watching it. Stark's fingers tightened. He slid his palms upward along the smooth muscles of her arms, across the straight broad planes of her shoulders, onto her neck, the proud strength of it pulsing under his hands. Her hair fell loose. He could feel the redness of it burning him. She whispered, "'You don't love me?' "'No.' 
You're an honest man, Hugh Stark. You want me to kiss you? Yes. You're an honest woman, Beodog. Her lips were hungry, passionate, touched with the bitterness of tears. After a while Stark blew out the candle. I could love you, Beodog. Not the way I mean. The way you mean. I've never said that to any woman before. But you're not like any woman before, and I'm a different man. Strange, so strange, Conan, and yet not Conan. I could love you, Beodog, if I lived. Harpstrings gave a thrumming sigh in the darkness, the faintest whisper of sound. Beodog started, sighed, and rose from the fur rug. In a minute she had found flint and steel and got the candle lighted. Romna the bard stood in the curtained doorway watching them. Presently he said, "'You're going to let him go?' Beodog said, "'Yes.' Romna nodded. He did not seem surprised. He walked across the dais, laying his harp on the table, and went into another room. He came back almost at once with a hacksaw. "'Bend your neck,' he said to Stark. The metal of the collar was soft. When it was cut through, Stark got his fingers under it and bent the ends outward without trouble. His old body could never have done that. His old body could never have done a lot of things. He figured Ron hadn't cheated him. Not much. He got up, looking at Beodog. Beodog's head was dropped forward her face veiled behind shining hair. "'There's only one possible way out of Crom de Hugh,' she said. There was no emotion in her voice. There's a passage leading down through the rock to a secret harbor, just large enough to moor a skiff or two. Perhaps with the night and the fog you can slip through Ron's blockade. Or you can go aboard one of her ships for Falga.' She picked up the candle. I'll take you down. Wait, Stark said. What about you? She glanced at him, surprised. I'll stay, of course. He looked into her eyes. It's going to be hard to know each other that way. You can't stay here, Hugh Stark. The people would tear you to pieces the moment you went into the street. They may even storm the hall to take you. Look here. She set the candle down and led him to a narrow window, drawing back the hide that covered it. Stark saw narrow, twisting streets dropping steeply toward the sullen sea. The longships were broken and sunk in the harbor. Out beyond, riding lights flickering in the red fog, were other ships, Ron's ships. "'Over there,' said Beodog, "'is the mainland. Crom de Hugh is connected to it by a tongue of rock.' The sea-folk hold the land beyond it, but we can hold the rock-bridge as long as we live. We have enough water, enough food from the sea. But there's no soil nor game on Crom de Hugh. We'll be naked after a while without leather or flax. And we'll have scurvy without grain and fruit. We're beaten unless the gods send us a miracle. And we're beaten because of what was done at Falga. You can see how the people feel. Stark looked at the dark streets and the silent houses leaning on each other's shoulders, and the mocking lights out in the fog. 
Yeah, he said, I can see. Besides, there's Faolan. I don't know whether he believes your story. I don't know whether it would matter. Stark nodded. But you won't come with me? She turned away sharply and picked up the candle again. Are you coming, Romna? The bard nodded. He slung his harp over his shoulder. Bayodag held back the curtain of a small doorway far to the side. Stark went through it, and Romna followed, and Bayodag went ahead with the candle. No one spoke. They went along a narrow passage, past storerooms and armories. They paused once while Stark chose a knife, and Romna whispered, Wait! He listened intently. Stark and Bayodag strained their ears along with him. There was no sound in the sleeping dun. Romna shrugged. I thought I heard sandals scraping stone, he said. They went on. The passage lay behind a wooden door. It led downward steeply through the rock, a single narrow way without side galleries or branches. In some places there were winding steps. It ended, finally, in a flat ledge low to the surface of the cove, which was a small cavern closed in with the black rock. Beodog set the candle down. There were two little skiffs built of some light metal moored to rings in the ledge. Two long sweeps leaned against the cave wall. They were of a different metal, oddly veined. Beodog laid one across the thwarts of the nearest boat. Then she turned to Stark. Romna hung back in the shadows by the tunnel mouth. Beodog said quietly, Goodbye, man without a name. It has to be goodbye. I'm leader now on Faulon's place. Besides, these are my people. Her fingers tightened on his wrists. If you could— Her eyes held a brief blaze of hope. Then she dropped her head and said, I keep forgetting you're not one of us. Goodbye. Goodbye, Beodog. Stark put his arms around her. He found her mouth almost cruelly. Her arms were tight about him, her eyes half-closed and dreaming. Stark's hands slipped upward, toward her throat, and locked on it. She bent back her body like a steel bow. Her eyes got fire in them, looking into Stark's, but only for a moment. His fingers pressed expertly on the nerve centers. Beodog's head fell forward limply, and then Romna was on Stark's back and his knife was pricking Stark's throat. Stark caught his wrist and turned the blade away. Blood ran onto his chest, but the cut was not into the artery. He threw himself backward onto the stone. Romna couldn't get clear in time. The breath went out of him in a rushing gasp. He didn't let go of the knife. Stark rolled over. The little man didn't have a chance with him. He was tough and quick, but Stark's sheer size smothered him. Stark could remember when Romna would not have seemed small to him. He hit the barge jaw with his fist. Romna's head cracked hard against the stone. He let go of the knife. He seemed to be through fighting. Stark got up. He was sweating, breathing heavily, not because of his exertion. His mouth was glistening and eager like a dog's. His muscles twitched. His belly was hot and knotted with excitement. His yellow eyes had a strange look. 
he went back to Beodog. She lay on the black rock on her back. Candlelight ran pale gold across her brown skin, skirting the sharp, strong hollows between her breasts and under the arching rim of her ribcase. Stark knelt across her body, his weight pressed down against her harsh breathing. He stared at her. Sweat stood out on his face. He took her throat between his hands again. He watched the blood grow dark in her cheeks. He watched the veins coil on her forehead. He watched the redness blacken in her lips. She fought a little, very vaguely, like someone moving in a dream. Stark breathed hoarsely, animal-like, through an open mouth. Then, gradually, his body became rigid. His hands froze, not releasing pressure, but not adding any. His yellow eyes widened. It was as though he were trying to see Beodoc's face and it was hidden in dense clouds. Back of him, back in the tunnel, was the soft, faint whisper of sandals on uneven rock. Sandals walking slowly. Stark did not hear. Beodoc's face glimmered deep in a heavy mist below him, a blasphemy of a face distorted, blackened. Stark's hands began to open. They opened slowly. Muscles stood like coiled ropes in his arms and shoulders, as though he moved them against heavy weights. His lips peeled back from his teeth. He bent his neck, and sweat dropped from his face and glittered on Beodoc's breast. Stark was now barely touching Beodoc's neck. She began to breathe again, painfully. Stark began to laugh. It was not nice laughter. Ron, he whispered. Ron, you she-devil. He half fell away from Beodog and stood up, holding himself against the wall. He was shaking violently. I wouldn't use your hate for killing, so you tried to use my passion. He cursed her in a flat, sibilant whisper. He had never in his profane life really cursed anyone before. He heard an echo of laughter dancing in his brain. Stark turned. Faulon of the ship stood in the tunnel mouth. His head was bent, listening, his blind, dark eyes fixed on Stark as though he saw him. End of Part Two